Our lives can sometimes feel full of routine. Get up, go to work, go to the gym, repeat. But what if you hit pause for an entire year to go on a sailing adventure? That's exactly what one New York City family did. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. Eric and Emily Orton and their five children set sail in 2014 on a 5,000-mile journey that would take them from the Caribbean back home to Manhattan. They detail their adventure in a new book called Seven at Sea, why a New York City family cast off convention for a life-changing year on a sailboat. Eric and Emily, thank you so much for coming in and joining me on Dry Land. Hey, it's great to be here with you. (laughs) Thanks for having us in, George. So let's get to the heart of the matter, the million-dollar question. What inspired you to take your five kids on a 5,000-mile journey on a sailboat between the Caribbean and New York City? I'll have to admit this was my idea. And I was working downtown in in the financial district. I had taken this job due to a big professional setback. I'd had a small business that had just failed and needed to find a way to pay the bills. And so I took this temp job uh, downtown and I worked nights and I would go for dinner breaks along the water, along the Esplanade of the Hudson River. And in the warmer months, I would see these sailboats going up and down. And I just thought, man, that looks so beautiful and so peaceful. And I wanted more of that in my life. But I was not a sailor. I didn't grow up sailing. I didn't know anybody that had a boat. But there was a sailing school literally right downstairs, which is where these boats were coming from. And I felt like it wasn't really my place. I felt like sailing was for other people, but Emily encouraged me, and I stepped into this school and asked how it all worked, and they were great. And they said, you know, uh, we can set up a class for you. I had kind of a weird schedule, and none of because I worked nights, it didn't jive with any of their available times. But they said, if you can get three other people to join you. If there's four, we can do a class whenever you want. And uh, so that uh, none of my coworkers wanted to do it. Uh, th- and, but uh, I went to Emily and I was like, hey, what if you and our two oldest girls who were nine and 11 at the time want to be in the class? Then we can do it on our own terms. And she was not into that uh, because <laughs> she is afraid of deep water and uh, just she wasn't too excited about it, but she wanted to support me because I was. She felt like you know Eric's doing so much to support us. And so, so you, Eric, then going to sailing school was not necessarily at this point a precursor to going on this many mile journey. Not at all. That was still not not even on our horizon. We just thought you know let's this would be a fun thing to try, and so we did this class and we really liked it. And then at the at the end of the class, we thought you know let's go out one time at least as a family. We'll bring all the kids because our two oldest daughters were already in the class with us. Let's get the other three. Found a place over in New Jersey where we could rent a boat pretty affordably for half a day, and we went out and gave it a whirl, and it was a disaster. A disaster? In what way? Well, we took the kids out, and the, the younger three did not know what to expect, and we didn't do a very good job of prepping them. As soon as the boat started to tip, they were screaming their heads off. I was flustered, and I'll let Emily, she, she was kind of the, she bore the brunt of this, so I'll let her tell the rest of it how it played out. I just want to make sure it makes more sense if you know how old the kids are at this yes, point. Yes, please. How old right? are so they? So our oldest is 11 years old, then our nine-year-old, and those are the two who had a few weeks of sailing classes with us. So an 11, a nine-year-old, and a wife who's afraid of deep water. Right. That's our crew. <laughs> a recipe pervert. <laughs> <laughs> what could go right? So we brought in the other three who had never been on a boat before, and that included a six-year-old, a two-year-old. And now um, our baby was eight months old, but she couldn't hold herself up yet. She has Down syndrome, and she was like a little slow on the muscular 
skeletal development side. So that's our crew. That's why it was, I think, so crazy because Eric was learning how to think ahead and give you know, the instructions for what was coming next. And the girls were still learning how to respond to that smoothly and not yet anticipating what might come next. And I've got a two-year-old just like nestled into me. And my baby is in one of those little bumbo seats, which have since been recalled, but at the time were considered okay. And I just have her between my feet and the son over here um, crying. And it was uh, very... (laughs) It was very funny to the other people, and we know this because other boaters were pointing at us and laughing. So So considering (laughs) that was such a disaster, why then continue with sailing? Why not just say, you know what, this is not going to work for us? Well, we came away from that feeling like success. We sailed as a family. That was, we'd we'd sort of checked that box. Okay, good attitude. I still wanted to sail, and so I continued uh, for the following summers i would now all my coworkers who didn't want to sail do sailing lessons they wanted to go sailing with me so i they would chip in and we'd rent a boat and i would take them out for half a day and that's how i was able to afford to continue to sail for a few seasons and then finally i was like you know i really i think it'd be fun to go as a family and we found this place over in new rochelle on long island sound where we could for about 140 bucks a month we could join this club and get unlimited use of their little 23 foot boats for as much as our schedule allowed and so we started to go with the kids about once a week, just us. And that was really great because we had time together. We would think, you know, you don't get cell phone reception. You're not getting emails out on the Long Island Sound. And so we would have a chance to really be together and we'd sing songs and have conversations and look each other in the eye, which was harder and harder to do when we're home because everyone's got a device or a screen and things like that. And it just became this really great quality family time. And then Emily and I eventually went and took a one-week class in the Caribbean because we were enjoying it and we wanted to learn more. And then at that point, we started to find families online that were living on their sailboats and traveling around the world or you know doing longer trips. And this just sounded great to me. And so I would watch these videos on the TV in the, in the living room and the kids would gather around and get curious. And so slowly it was spreading to the whole family. I would say of those videos that we watched, I mean, a lot of them just look like so much fun, beautiful locations. And for me, I guess just having fun, that's only interesting to me in short (laughs) periods of time. I wouldn't want to just have fun forever and ever and ever. So that wasn't what it was about for me. But one of the families that we were watching actually had a very similar name to us. Their last name was... Uh, the Nortons. Huh. The Nortons, <laughs> like a bizarro version of us coming out of the UK, um, who had a lot more money and custom built their own boat before they did took their family on a trip all the way around the world. But we watched one of their YouTube episodes where they had been doing some boat maintenance and a spinnaker pole... I think we all know what a pole is, so I'll just leave it with that, had hit the father in the head and caused this huge gash, and they needed to get to a hospital right away. But they were 50 miles away, and you go about five miles an hour on a boat, so that's quite a journey. The mother was a professional nurse. Their son, I think, was their second child, and he was about 12 years old, and his name was Freddie, and he was in charge of being at the helm. And then the two daughters were making sure that their dad did not fall asleep, that he was okay, and their mom was on the phone with Coast Guard. They hadn't planned to come into the U.S. They hadn't, you know, had clearance or anything, but they sailed the 50 miles, got into Puerto Rico, and something happened to that family going through that experience together. 
seeing how much they really cared about each other and stepping into that role. When that 12-year-old stepped into the role of taking the helm and getting the boat to Puerto Rico to take care of their father, that really affected Eric and I both deeply. And we thought, we don't want to have an accident like that. And thank goodness we didn't have an accident like that. But what an opportunity to bring the family together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted that intangible connectedness and appreciation of each other that they had. That was that was one of the in, inspiring things, in addition to this idea that we could learn hands-on as we went. So, Eric, you're still working at this time. Emily, you're a stay-at-home mom, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And that's actually part of the issue, the money issue, is that I've made this sort of currently maybe quasi-unconventional choice to stay home with our children instead of, you know, pursue my, my degree in teaching full-time. I taught my kids at home and that meant we had chosen to live on a single income. So a lot of pressure was on Eric, and, you know, it doesn't go that far in New York City. So it was it was a trick. So how do you go to your employer and say, you know what, I'm going on a boat with my family for the next year. I'll see you later. You ease up to it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we took several years to, before we went from between starting to sail and actually launching out. And we started to take longer and longer trips, some of them on land, some of them on on the water. And, you know, we'd go for a month to Cape Cod, you know, but we'd started to go in the off season because we, we started to homeschool and we would break away to go do other projects. And so we, we kind of started to shake loose a lot of the things that felt very conventional and not that they're bad, but they just, you know, a traditional school schedule or a traditional work schedule started to dissolve for us. And we did these sailing trips, and our confidence was growing, and we started looking for a boat of our own. And finally, we bought a boat of our own, and we had a plan for where we would, when we would get on board because we decided, look, we only have our kids with us for this certain amount of time. And if we don't do something like this now, we will miss that opportunity. That window will close. So our deadline was to do it before Karina became a senior in high school. And the clock was ticking. We found a boat that we wanted to buy. Now, is it true that you bought that boat sight unseen? You had never seen it before. That is correct. Outside of seeing it on the internet, I guess. Yeah, we saw it online, and we we were familiar with the company that was selling with it because we had done classes with them, and we had done charters with them, and we did hire somebody to go inspect the boat for us. So it wasn't like there was no verification whatsoever. But it's a special feeling when you wire off a down payment to an island in the Caribbean, and you hope... It's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Does this boat actually exist? Right. Yeah, it sounds like a recipe for, for wire fraud. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, was the boat everything you expected it and hoped it to be? I think when we first got there, we got there in the middle of the night. Um, to what island? We were, um, thank you. We got to St. Martin. Okay. It's a really cool island. It has one half French and one half Dutch. And um, the boat was on the French side when we started. And we arrived in the middle of the night due to some, well, not in the middle, dark, when it was um, flight delays. And the first thing I noticed about this boat was that it didn't have a mast. No, it had a mast, but it didn't have a mainsail. Didn't have a mainsail. That's right. That's what it, I was like, it has no sail. Um, I'm not really sure how we're going to be able to work with this. And um, then when I got on board with all the kids and our 12-year-old was crying, she had this big tear in her face. And she said, I want you to take a picture of me so you can remember how sad I am to have left all my friends. And and I was like, you know what? Just bring your bags inside, put the sheets on your beds, and I'll make dinner. We'll regroup. Um, I couldn't figure out how to turn the stove on. 
we checked the propane canisters and checked all. The, anyway, it just I couldn't get it on, so we just had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and went to bed. So it was like exciting that we were there, and we thought tomorrow we'll figure things out. But the the first arrival was a little. <laughs> what kind of boat was it specifically? It was a thirty eight foot catamaran, which means there's two hulls, and as opposed to a single straight line boat, there's two that are connected in the middle with, uh, in, in the case of our boat, kind of a kitchen eating area in the middle. Four cabins, two bathrooms. So it was actually more more bedrooms and more bathrooms than our New York City apartment. Huh. Double. <laughs> <laughs> How hard of a sell was this with your kids? Because you referenced one of your kids was concerned about missing friends. So was it a hard sell? There were hard parts. I think they were taking a risk with us. And it and it was something we had talked about for quite a long time. And they'd watch the videos together of these other families. So they had some idea. But it was still scary to leave. And we were in this much smaller space. We had to make our own water. Um, our eight-year-old son was very dismayed to learn that there is such a thing as no internet. <laughs> um, that was actually pretty rough on him. Uh, he was born the same year as YouTube. And he doesn't like to be separated from that sort of digital twin. <laughs> um, it was hard in the beginning when we uh, hadn't made any friends. We hadn't met any mentors. Um, all the kids were a little worried about their friends. I thought it was so interesting seeing how each kid responded. For example, our oldest daughter was concerned that she was going to be missing out on stuff that her friends in New York City were doing, and she wouldn't know the inside jokes or what was the latest. And our second daughter, uh, who turned 15 on the trip, was she had the reverse concern that she was going to experience something that her friends back in New York City wouldn't be able to understand about her, and mm. it would create a disconnect. So, I mean, things like that were really fascinating to me. And in the beginning, Eric and I immediately had what we call dreamer's remorse, realizing that the boat needed more work than we anticipated. We needed more skills than we had brought with us. And it was and super. everything cost a lot more money than we thought. Everything was so expensive. Yeah, and we really felt like we wanted to, to turn back. And we didn't know it at the time, but the the inlet to um, where the boat was, to getting in and out of that, is just one of the most treacherous ingress and egresses in all of the Caribbean with just rocks and waves pushing you in all directions. And so we were like, man, I don't know, but we like can't even get out of this place. So within me. minutes, you're questioning, was this a good <laughs> idea? Absolutely. The, the, once we got there, we were completely overwhelmed, and we just felt like we should put the boat back on the market, buy plane tickets, and fly straight back home. We just felt like we'd made the dumbest decision of our lives, completely. And I think one thing that I'm glad we did is we said, let's just go out once. We're going to take the boat out of here. And it was rough getting out like Emily said, but we went to this little island called Team Tomorrow, which was just a few miles off the coast of, of St. Martin. We got there, we dropped anchor, and on the way, everybody got seasick and couldn't keep dinner down, and everyone just fell, slept where they fell. And in the morning, we regrouped, took the dinghy to shore, got onto this nice sandy beach and said, okay, we came here because we thought that a lot of things could go right, that, this, that there were some beautiful things that could come out of this. We don't know what those are going to be, what, what those might be just yet, but let's stop and take a look at what is going right. What can we be grateful for right now? And we took a minute and we actually videotaped all the kids answering these questions, and just pause. And the things that they were grateful for were they th they loved the breeze, they thought the sand was beautiful. They some of them had slept on the deck the, the night prior, and they said the stars were amazing. And so they were grateful for all these very simple things, but just pausing and 
taking a moment to realize that gave us the the courage and I think the momentum to keep going forward and, and persevering through the, the continual challenges that were yet to come. Let's not think about what can go wrong. Let's think about what can go right, right? Great attitude. (laughs) Yeah, that really helped. And I think our kids really helped too. I mean, we were this whole team and especially our oldest daughter, she said, you know, I see you guys are really stressed out and you're constantly going to the chandleries which are like sailing specific stores, figuring out what we might need to make the boat ready for our family. But you said we were coming here to be together and you're not being with us, you're traveling and like decision making and stressing out all the time. So that was a, an opportunity for us to recalibrate and kind of put all those boat worries on a leash and say like, yes, we will worry about the boat and we will work towards making these things right or making these things comfortable, but we won't spend all day, every day doing it. We will put a limit on that and we'll spend time together. And I think her calling us out uh, really helped us just bring it back into perspective. What were the rockiest waters you had to navigate? And I mean that literally. I think the rockiest waters were, well, our our first storm really shook me. We'd spent a fair bit of time in St. Martin getting the boat ready to go. And we had made a bunch of friends while we were there, other boats that were sailing, other families that were sailing on boats. And then it came time, we had to sail north and they were all sailing south. And so we were leaving them and we were on our own for the first time in a while. And we were sailing north to the Virgin Islands, clear skies, beautiful forecast. We decided to do the crossing at night. 3 a.m. in the morning, I'm on watch with my daughter, Allison, who's 14 at the time. The stars all disappear. The skies cloud over. The winds pick up from 10 knots to 30 knots. And the seas are getting really rough. And then it just starts to pour cold rain. And and I could see our, I could just hear the boat groaning like it was in, it felt dangerous. And so I said, Allison, the only thing I know how to do is to turn this boat around with the motors going and sail it straight into the wind to take the pressure off the sails. And that's what we did. And just drove that boat straight into the cold rain and wind all night long till the sun came up. And when the sun came up, the, the storm subsided and we were able to turn around to our, our original direction and get ourselves to the Virgin Islands. And, but we found out that when we got there, another boat in the same squall had had their mast snapped off. Hmm. And we just thought, you know, we're grateful that we managed it as well as we did. And throughout the course of our trip, we got much more competent and calm in those kinds of situations. It wasn't that the situation itself was dangerous, but we needed to learn how to handle them. And so we were grateful for that learning curve. And, and by the end, we there are still plenty of people who are much, much better sailors than us. But by the end of the trip, we knew what we were doing, but it was a rough beginning. Emily, did you get over your fear of deep water before embarking on this journey? Or are you still afraid of deep water while you're out there on the boat? Thank you for asking me this. I'm actually really excited to report that I am not as scared of deep water as I have been. And here's how my rational brain had an opportunity to take over. When we were um, taking this course in the Caribbean, we actually took two classes in one week to prepare to sail these bigger boats. And the first night... Everyone else in the class hopped in the water and was swimming around, and uh, good for them. I'm not. I'm not going to be um, going in dark water that's 30 feet deep. And so I stayed on the boat, and I didn't feel bad. But the next morning, they got out, and they just did it again. And like, oh, we're going to go snorkeling. I had never snorkeled. So um, they started going, and I actually felt embarrassed 
<laughs> I felt embarrassed that as, you know, a 30-something adult, I couldn't get in the water. And so I decided to just, like, take a deep breath, put that snorkel mask on. And I, um, when I get scared, I just sing these little, like, Sunday school songs that I learned as a child to kind of pep myself up. So if you were next to me, you would hear, like, this squeaky little song coming out of my tube. And I started going towards um, the shore where they were all looking at fish and stuff. And by the time I saw that first fish, I mean, that really was a transformational moment for me because my fear turned into fascination. I was so engrossed. It is not the same as watching it on a nature video. I didn't see anything as spectacular as what you see on those like National Geographic movies. But what I saw was with my own eyes and it was so uh, beautiful to me. And I just became totally engrossed. And Eric said, you know, do you want to head back? Are you doing okay? He he was concerned, and I was like, "This is my new favorite thing." Huh. Like, <laughs> the world is a lot different with a snorkel mask on, right? <laughs> yeah, and and what else am I holding myself back from? So since the trip, fast forward a, f- a few years, um, I've I've gone in water with uh, four foot sharks, well fed, not scary sharks, but for my brain, a good exercise. And then um, last year, about a year ago now, I certified to scuba dive down to 60 feet wow you have come a long long way haven't you yeah (laughs) i really wanted to take that on and and i also started surfing so those are two really beautiful peaceful enjoyable things that i can now do for the rest of the years of my life that my fear had closed me off from in the first 35 (laughs) what growth experiences did you see in your kids i think our kids each had their own different kind of growth trajectory you know Eli and Lily learned how to swim. They didn't know how to swim when we went out. And and I think they grew in confidence making friends, especially Eli. Lily's always, you know, friendly and, and she opened up so many doors for us just with her, her sunshiny disposition. And our, our daughter Sarah Jane, our middle daughter, she made the best friends of her life there. And then Allison, our fifteen year old, she said I think I've learned to be comfortable being uncomfortable, hmm. which we were, I thought was wise. And then our oldest daughter, Karina, when we asked her what she'd learned from the trip, she said, I don't think this trip really changed me, but I think it made me more myself. That she just went deeper into who she, who she is and didn't have to transform into something new. What about you, Eric? How did this change you? <laughs> I, I think I mellowed out a little bit. I'm a a New York City guy. I like a fast pace. And I had to learn that there are things that are beyond my control and that I have to relax and let those things happen. And and an adage that we've kind of cultivated as a family now is let it emerge. There was so much that we wanted to plan and time out in advance. And so many other things were beyond our control that we had to just learn to be calm, not try and solve the problem right now in the moment, but just keep moving forward and trust that the people that might be able to help us or the information or the situations that will solve it will emerge as we keep moving forward. And, and we don't always have to start with everything dialed in. You both referenced singing. Emily, you said you were singing a song to try to get over your fear of water. Eric, you referenced earlier the family was singing on the boat. I have to say, and I mean this in the best possible way, as I was reading this book, you all reminded me of the Von Trapp family. (laughs) You sing together. We do. We do, and much to the chagrin of our son, because he sometimes said I was stuck on a boat with my singing family. (laughs) Some people, you can imagine what torture that might be, Um, but... 
Eric, the the professional setback he referenced earlier was that he had left managing Wicked to produce a show off-Broadway, a musical, and he writes musicals, and we came to New York for Broadway. This is not like this is our first big dream. We've, you know, we've taken some leaps in the professional world along this end, and it didn't pan out. It closed five weeks later, right, the day before our, was born. our son was born, and it was that was a really rough time, but this sort of grew out of that um, setback. So our kids grew up with musical instruments and their parents singing and they sing, and um, it isn't always what happens. There's definitely bickering and complaining, but sometimes there are those moments where I'm not going to lie. This sounds like a fantasy, but our daughters will be washing dishes together, singing in harmony, and you're like, "Where? How, how did this happen to us? I, I don't know. We we definitely didn't do anything to deserve it." Your boat almost sank somewhere near New Jersey, and your family was singing, singing Taylor Swift's "Shake It Off." <laughs> this was one of the greatest moments to me because um, we had to work as a team so many times. And I know Eric was so frustrated how he's having to remind us, I'll know you have to do this first and then that. And who's going to help with, you know, pulling up the anchor or setting the anchor. And in this moment when it's like middle of the night, we're all exhausted. I think Eric's been at the helm for 14 or 16 hours. And we thought we were going to arrive in New York that night. But then the waters were too rough. Things were clanging around, and our we turned around to go back. And when we went to set the anchor, we got a rope caught around the, the propeller, propeller, and it torqued the sail drive. Anyway, it just started letting water into that um, engine. And our daughter said, I think I can hear water gushing. And we're like, oh, really? Like, I don't want to have another problem. I just want to go to sleep. But then I, I was I was stepping in water on the lowest step of the um, the back of the boat. And I was like, that's weird. So he, Eric went and checked it out, and sure enough, like the floorboards were starting to float. It was starting to creep into the, the cabins on that side of the boat, the port side. And I was like, okay, kids, it's time to start bailing. And I just pulled out from the cupboards, bowls, jugs, whatever we had. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's how we just kind of handled the adrenaline rush and we worked together, and we just bailed. And we, I mean, we sang other songs as well, but that's definitely where it started. We were just like, okay, okay, shake it off. <laughs> We haven't yet talked about the name of your boat. Tell us the name of the boat. Fezziwig. Fezziwig. Yeah, it's called Fezziwig. Yes, I love this name. We were actually trying to think of a name for a boat that had a Z in it. This is a little silly, but we were learning, you know, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and I wanted to be able to say Zulu, Zulu, whenever we were calling <laughs> it our boat name. But as we sat around, everyone threw out different ideas for names. Um, and the reason we chose Fezziwig is because in Charles Dickens' book, A Christmas Carol, Scrooge has this boss named Mr. Fezziwig, and he has his wife, Mrs. Fezziwig, and his daughters, and their family um, takes time to celebrate life and celebrate the people in their life. And I and I think he doesn't end up necessarily doing that well in business. He certainly doesn't get the stockpile that Scrooge has, but Scrooge has these wonderful memories of this person, and we're like, we want to take that spirit with us, that idea of celebrating life and celebrating the people in our lives whether or not we have enough money to really merit something like this, just go for it. What has become of Fezziwig? Do you still own Fezziwig? 
we leased Fezziwig out to some friends of ours immediately when we got back, and they took their kids out for six months. That was really important because we were so emotionally attached. That was the first home we ever owned. We were renters like most New Yorkers. And we had such um, intense experiences on there that we felt like it was good to give a little space before we could make a decision about what to do with the boat. So thankfully, these friends wanted to have this experience, and we got some space to to think about it. And we were willing to then let it go. Yeah. Ultimately, when they came back, we put the boat we put the boat on the market and sold it. But we we still, whenever we go on journeys, we Fezziwig is if we're driving a van or if we're on a you know, somebody else's boat or the Fez- the spirit of Fezziwig goes with us. Yeah, that's right. Another, uh, some grandparents in California bought Fezziwig and they kept the name because they really loved the idea and they loved the story of our family on the boat and they take their grandchildren out. And um, every now and again, somebody who we met will say, I saw Fezziwig in Grenada or I saw Fezziwig in the Bahamas and they'll ju- we'll just get these unexpected reports. And I'm very happy that Fezziwig is still out there supporting making memories for other families. What's your advice to a family listening to this who might be on the fence about doing something like this? It's okay to be scared. It's okay <laughs> to be scared. But also know that there will never be a right time. There will never be enough money. And there will never be an invitation to do something like this. But if you speak it or write it down, somehow bring it out into the world, and then pick one small thing that you can do consistently to move towards it, magic will happen. And just ask yourself what could go right. Well, the book is Seven at Sea, Why a New York City Family Cast-Off Convention for a Life-Changing Year on a Sailboat. Eric and Emily Orton, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producers Fiona Shea and Maddie Bristow. And thank you so much for listening.